Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, as you can see, well, maybe those of you watching uh, online cannot see, but there are people sitting here in front of me. And I think the closest person is about 30 feet away. And so I'm just going to just remove this for now. Uh, but we are still meeting in person. And I, I do get emails and text messages from people saying, are we going to continue to meet with the, uh, the new restrictions? And yes, we are. We're still permitted to do it up to 15% of our uh, capacity. And just so you know, we are following the guidelines. We are adhering to those uh, guidelines that are given. And we've suspended almost all uh, in-person activities except for this. And uh, so let me just, uh, before I move into the message that God has given me for today, I just want to um, read to you a passage of Scripture that's often overlooked, and it's found in uh, the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. We call it 1 Corinthians. And uh, this is what it says. The Apostle Paul says in chapter 16, beginning at verse 1, he says, Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told our Galatian churches to do. Now, Galatia was a province. He said, do what I told them to do. On the first day of the week, so what is the first day of the week? Sunday, not Monday. Sunday is the first day of the week. He said, on the first day of the week, um, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And he was talking here about what we call an offering. And there were various ways that these offerings, these collections were used. But it was used for the work of ministry, for the work of God's church. And today, you know, we have uh, churches like they did back then. The church is not a building. It's the people. And so my habit has been, my wife and I, for hmm, since 1975, We've been doing that. Uh, we actually do it monthly, not weekly. It just is more convenient, but we give systematically and we give regularly and we give a particular percentage. Uh, we give a minimum of 10% because we believe that's what God wants us to do. And uh, we just get, like, it doesn't matter how bad things are for us financially or how good they are. Well, it does matter. Sometimes if they're good, we can give more. But if they're bad, we still give that minimum. And it's that habit uh, that I think the church needs at this time. Uh, it, we've seen a downturn in giving. We've also seen a downturn in our expenses. So, you know, it's a bit of a, a zero-sum game uh, there. But we do need your help, and we know many of you want to catch up in December. Uh, so uh, if you want to um, give before the end of the year and get receipted for it for the year 2020, make sure that you get that into us by December the 31st. Anyway, God bless you, and I do want to pray right now for uh, our offering and pray for the giving um, and for God to sustain our people, uh, those who are struggling. We do have a giving box in the back there. It's kind of on the wall, and there's a little slot. If you want to just drop an offering in there, you can do that. Father, I want to thank you for uh, just the privilege of being able to give to you to give to your work. And uh, Lord, you have blessed us so much. And I thank you for what it says in Proverbs chapter 11, that he who waters others will himself be watered. The one who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And I know, Lord, that when we give, it is returned to us. Uh, you uh, never ask more of us than what we are able to do and what you are 
willing to give grace for us to do. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to finish this year uh, in the black as a church, uh, that you would take care of your people, your church. And I just pray, Father, that for those who give, uh, may there be added blessing for each one of them. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just uh, wanted to just tell you a little bit about what it's like to be a pastor uh, during COVID-19. People ask me a lot. They go, how are you? And the way that that question is asked sometimes, I think people are worried about me. And I think they're worried about pastors in general, like, what's it like? And uh, I, you know, my answer to that question is, God is good. I'm doing well. And I did have some months during the, I guess, the middle, I guess the summer, somewhere between the middle of June and the middle of October when it was really tough. And there were some dark days for me, like where I was just like, I don't know if I'm up for this. Um, But then, you know, I start to think about other people who are struggling so much more than this guy. And there are businesses that are failing. There are people that are out of work uh, who are just struggling, just wondering how they're going to feed their family or how they're going to pay their mortgage or their rent. And, um, boy, I have no complaints. And people do ask me as well, well, how do you feel about the church? And I go, well, you know, so we would typically have a pretty full sanctuary on a Sunday morning. And right now, I think there's maybe about 25 people in this room. Uh, most people are electing to watch online. And it is really difficult to gauge how the church is doing. Um, but the telecare ministry that Audrey so beautifully uh, shared about, and Audrey, thank you for sharing your experience. We need to hear some encouraging words like that and, and people just setting an example. And many of you follow uh, the example that she's setting as well, where you're actually um, showing compassion and uh, giving to people in need during this time. Um, but right now, if you were to ask me, how do I think the church is going? Um, I, I'm pretty optimistic about it. I really am. Um, and I, and I'm, ju- I'm not just making that up. We've had some team meetings lately, some leadership team meetings lately in the church, that the sense of unity uh, that God is, is, is fostering among us is beautiful. It is really wonderful. Because, you know, if, we're, if we stand together, folks, um, God can work through us. And we'll be okay. It doesn't matter if we've got it all figured out. But if we stand together and we pray together and we trust in God, he's going to take care of his church. Do you believe that? And, and he really will. And so we've had some wonderful meetings, like with our church board, some members of our staff. Um, and there's also, besides the sense of unity, there's also a sense that we're on a mission. We have not lost that sense of mission. I want you to know that. God has sent us on a mission, and that's what I want to talk about. So even in the worst of times, and 2020 is really kind of like the worst of times, God's church is still alive. We're still standing. And I believe that we are here for such a time as this. Even in the darkest hours, we need to let our light shine. The darker it gets in the world, the more our light needs to shine. We are here for such a time as this. And uh, you know that um, I'm now three score and ten uh, I, I read in the Psalms, you know, like if you live that long, that's pretty good. And I'm like, okay, so I, I've actually hit that, that peak. Uh, and I just hope the Lord gives me many more years. And because I believe God 
has called me, number one, not to retire yet. And I've said to our church board, and I said to people around me, I said, if you think I'm ready to retire, if I've become somehow ineffective or irrelevant, please tell me. But as long as you'll have me, and as long as God has chosen me to lead this church, I'm, I'm passionate about the vision that God has given me for the future of this church. And I do want to lead us to what I guess I'll call the promised land. I believe the best days of First Church are still ahead of that. I've said that in the past, and I truly believe that. Um, and so we're at a point now where, especially through 2020, uh, we're facing a battle. Uh, it's been tough. Do you know uh, pastors... There have been, uh, there's the st- statistics that have been released that there have been more, a higher percentage of pastors resigning from their churches and leaving the ministry this year than at almost any time before that. It's been hard on pastors and church leaders. Now, I feel like, you know, I've gone through some tough times, but God is seeing me through, and, and, and I just want to share with you um, that I'm not here to complain at all. I I feel privileged to be your pastor and to be in this office that God has put me into. So the battle here is this, is how do we, during a time like this, keep unity, to foster unity together and love? And how do we keep a sense of focus on our mission because that's easily lost. Unity can be lost and our sense of mission can be lost where it it just becomes a little bit more like surviving instead of thriving. And God does not want us just to survive and let's, okay, let's just get through 2020 and let's just get into 2021 and let's just survive. No, right now, I believe God is calling us to thrive. It doesn't matter about the vaccine that's not going to, we're not going to start thriving once the vaccine's out or once COVID is over, if it's over. We can thrive now. You can thrive now. And so COVID-19 has threatened to throw us off our stride. It really has. Um, it's threatened our sense of mission, our sense of unity. I, I know that today a lot of people are feeling, um, some people are thinking of feeling bored. A lot of people are feeling restless. Some people, because of the, the, the lockdown and feeling isolated, are suicidal. We, I hear that a lot. Uh, mental health issues are exacerbated. Um, people are feeling uh, just kind of like a, a sense of uh, a loss of equilibrium. They're worn out. We're tired of this. But God's Holy Spirit can help you to thrive even in a time like this. But you need to spend time with Him and be still in his presence. I heard a pastor recently in a conversation. I'm not even into the sermon yet. I'm just, this is just the introduction, okay? Um, So, hold on. But I'm still going to end on time. Um, I heard a pastor on a Zoom meeting talk about the apathy of his people. And it it really broke my heart to hear that. I don't like to hear a a, a pastor talk in in a mean way about his people. And that's why I'm going to keep that anonymous. But I, honestly, I don't think apathy is the right word. We are finding that there are some people that we're not sure what's going on. Uh, there are some people that, you know, it sounds like maybe they're making excuses for not doing stuff and maybe not stepping up to the plate. But, you know, I don't think apathy is the right word. Uh, somebody just the other day in a conversation said, I think the problem is a lot of people are just lonely. They're just lonely. Um, and, and, and people are feeling vulnerable right now. 
I think people are afraid. I think apathy doesn't quite hit it. They're lonely, feeling vulnerable, feeling afraid, and I think we need to be compassionate about that. I feel like there's a sense of dislocation, that we're not quite where we need to be. We're not, and this is why the church is here. We're here to light the way. If if, If you're feeling lost out there in the darkness and you're stumbling in the darkness, the church is here to light your way. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. As he was the light of the world, so are we are the light of the world. And so um, the church is here to, to really be an answer for the challenges that people are facing during COVID-19. And I'm going to have us look at a prayer that Jesus prayed. Uh, on the night that he was betrayed by Judas, you remember they did the, the Last Supper and all that, and, um, and he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, And he knew that he was going to die on the cross. And this is like a prayer that Peter, James, and John were there, and they they must have heard him, and it was recorded. And we have this prayer in John chapter 17. And if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to this. John chapter 17. And you would think, we've seen other prayers and heard other prayers of Jesus in the Bible, but this was his last one on earth. Um, And so we need to pay attention to what he prays for here. Um, I have been talking recently about the meaning of Advent. Uh, we looked at the, this old man, Simeon, a couple of weeks ago, how he had waited for the consolation of Israel, and he actually saw the baby Jesus. The Lord promised him that he would see the Messiah before he died, and he held him in his arms, and then he prophesied. And he said that he would cause the rising and falling of many in Israel, and that, that a, a, a sword would pierce his mother Mary's heart. And he was looking ahead to Jesus' crucifixion. Even when he held the baby Jesus, he prophesied and he knew that some bad stuff was going to happen to Jesus, but that it was part of God's plan. Um, and then last week we looked at John chapter 1, where it says that Jesus came into the world. He grew up. John the Baptist announced him ahead of time. And it said that he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. They rejected him. And they put him, the chief priests and the elders of Israel, crucified him on the cross. And here Jesus is now in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before his crucifixion. And he knows what's going to happen. And he knows that the next day a sword is going to pierce his mother Mary's heart. And that he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We need to listen to this prayer. Um, So, and this will come up on the screen. Verses 11 through 13, John 17, verses 11 through 13. Jesus says, and I'm not going to read all the words. You can look at them. But he says, and he's praying to the Father, his Father in heaven. He says, I am no longer in the world. But they, meaning his disciples, are in the world. And Father, I am coming to you. And then further down in verse 13, he says, now I am coming to you. And he knew that he was going to be crucified, rise from the dead, and then ascend to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. So he was leaving the world. If you read John 14, 15, and 16, he's talking about leaving. And his disciples didn't understand, and they were upset about it. So he said, I'm leaving this world, but you're going to remain. But then he says this in the next passage, verses 14 and 15. And he says, I have given them, the disciples, your word, and the world's hated them because they, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, 
and that includes us, are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then in verse 16, he says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The world here doesn't mean in this passage the people of the world as much as it means, and I used this word before, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, um, the, the way of the world. You know, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This world has a pattern. This world has a way of thinking and doing. And he says, no, that's not you. You're not of this world. Yes, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And so we're not on home turf here. We are not on home turf in this present age. God will restore the earth and bring about the new heavens and the new earth. But right now, that hasn't happened. We're not on home turf. We do not have home field advantage right now. So how is it, Audrey was up here sharing, how can Audrey be in the world and yet not of the world? And here's, I prayed about this. I said, Lord, give me um, a a word picture for this, an analogy. And here's what he, he gave me. How many of you like to swim? Anybody here? Okay. Some of you online. Can you raise your hand? Okay. Um, Then how many of you would consider yourself pretty good swimmers, that you could actually be like a lifeguard or save somebody else? Okay. A few? Okay. All right. Uh, So you could be in the water, but you're not of the water. You're not a fish. You have lungs, not gills. You could be in the water, but you're not of the water. In the same way, this world, this age that we're in now, is not our natural habitat. Not as it is now. We're in it, but we're not of it. And so Jesus said, I'm going away, but I am going to leave my disciples, my followers behind. Why? And that's what I want to look at today. Why did he do that? Why didn't he just take, why doesn't he just come right now and take us all home? Like, why? So Jesus says a prayer here, and he prays first of all, and this is verse 17, where he says, sanctify them in the truth. Now, the word sanctify means make them holy. Make them holy. The word holy means to be set apart for God, to be set apart for God's purpose. So right now, Audrey, when you shared, uh, you had this sense, maybe you didn't think of it this way, but you felt, I am being set apart to serve God's purpose during COVID-19. And that's what it means to be holy. A holy does mean to be a morally pure person, but it means so much more than that as well. It means that I've identified myself as somebody that God has called out of the world. He selected me out of the world. He set me apart, but he sent me back into the world because the world needs his message, and his love. And then Jesus says this in this passage, verse 18, or verse 19, he says, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified. So Jesus is saying, I have set myself apart so that they might be set apart. And when Jesus came into this world, he knew that he had a mission. He knew that his mission was to go to the cross and take on the sins of the world. And rise from the dead. And then one day when he was 
back with the Father in heaven, he would pour out his Holy Spirit. And through his people, his church, he, we would change the world. And that's what it means to be sanctified. If you're morally pure, but you're not engaged in God's purpose, you're not fully sanctified, I'll tell you that. It means to be set apart for his purposes, to carry on his work, to be his ambassadors. So he has set us apart, but it doesn't stop with being set apart. You know what you could do? What we could do? We could all go live in a colony somewhere. How many of you want to do that? <laughs> no. We don't want to do that. We're not a cult. He has set us apart, and he's made us holy, but we're set apart for a purpose, and the purpose is so that he can send us back in. He sets us apart to work on us, and then he prepares us and equips us to go back in as his ambassadors, as his missionaries. And, and so this is our identity. So you see these candles here. The reason we light candles like this and have lights on Christmas trees, it's, it's a reminder that we're the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You're the light of the world. And so here's the point. It is not good enough for you to be the light. Being the light is not good enough. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount? Let your light shine. He said, don't hide it. If you're hiding it, you're not fulfilling your mission. You say, oh, I'm light. For sure, I'm not, I'm not darkness. I'm light. That's good enough. No, it isn't. If your light isn't shining, you haven't accepted the mission that God has prepared you for. And so, we're here on enemy territory right now, really. So, in 1 John 5, 19, this is what the same writer, John, okay, the apostle, he said, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. In fact, the Bible says the devil is the prince of the power of the air. He's the God of this world, Paul the Apostle says. And so right now, the, the world as it is, I mean, look around, folks. It's under the control of the, our enemy, the devil. And so we're on enemy territory, but we're not here. And, and we're not here to amuse ourselves. And we're not here just to check off our selfish bucket list. We are here to do the will of God. And we're not here just to live moral lives. You need to do that. But that doesn't mean you're done just because you're morally pure and you have good ethics. We need to know that we're here to set captives free, to heal the sick, to stand beside the lonely, and to do the kind of things. Sir, I'm really uh, picking up here on Audrey, and I don't want to embarrass you, but your story, I've heard a lot of stories like the story that Audrey shared. Many of you here today, you're doing this. You're doing it in spades. And you're saying, I know I'm here for such a time as this to make a difference in a world that is really hurting and engulfed in darkness. So we're on enemy territory to be his ambassadors. So Jesus says in verse 14, he says, I've given them your word, his disciples. He says, the world has hated them because they're not of the world just as I'm not of the world. So it's kind of interesting. Um, if you go to Prince Edward Island, it's a, I've been there. Many of you have been there. Some of you are from there. They say that if you haven't been born there, I guess you're from away. Now, it's interesting. They're still friendly. But I'll tell you this. We, have, we live in a world right now where there's, xenophobia is, is a real thing. And, and we are often afraid of people that are different, different than us. Uh, and, and we, the stranger, you know, and, and 
Jesus is saying, you know, you're not of this world. And what's going to happen is people are going to recognize that you're not of this world. You're not one of us. You're, you're from away, aren't you? You go, yeah, because <laughs> I've been born again. And, but I'm here. I'm here as God's missionary, as Christ's ambassador. And here's what's happening. is nobody's going to bother you, and they won't hate you. Jesus said the world hates you because you're not of the world. Okay. They're not going to hate you, though, if you just be good. If, if, if you think that being a Christian is just about being good, I'm just going to be good. I'm just going to keep my nose clean. I'll pay my taxes. And that's good. But it's not enough. No one's going to bother you. Here's, what, here's, what, here's what's going to happen. If you actually begin to shine your light and you actually accept your call to be Christ's ambassador and, and do what he wants you to do, uh, that's going to rattle some cages. It's going to rattle some cages. And you have to be willing to be vilified for the sake of Christ if you're making a difference. And so... We're only being the church when we do the things that Jesus did. Why does the Apostle Paul say in the Bible that the church is the body of Christ? We, he is the head, and we are his limbs, we are his hands, his feet, his eyes, his ears, his mouth. Because he wants us to do what he did. So the world right now desperately needs our message. They need what we have, Jesus. They need us to be the church and to be the body of Christ. So Jesus prays for their sanctification, which means he's praying that they would be on mission. The second thing he prays for is he prays for our protection. And this is found in verses 11 through 14. And he says, you know, I am no longer in the world, but they're in the world. And then further down in verse 12, he says, I kept them or protected them in your name. I have guarded them. And then in verse 14, he says, but the world has hated them. And then in verse 15, he says to the Father, keep them from the evil one. You know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. And so Jesus here is saying, because you're in the world and you're not of the world and you're my ambassadors, it might cause some trouble in your life. And so he says, Father, protect them. Uh, Some people will not listen to God's message. Uh, Some will actually oppose us and persecute us. And we know today that there is a persecuted church in other regions of the world and some would say even in Canada to some extent being persecuted. And the Apostle Paul said in his letter to Timothy, one of his letters to Timothy, he said, if you desire to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. And so while we carry on God's mission, we will inevitably face testing and we will face temptation. And I'll tell you what one of the temptations is out there. Seeds of discord within the body of Christ. We have an enemy. And the devil does not want us to rise up and be the church. He does not want you to go about being a missionary for Jesus, to be an ambassador for Christ. He doesn't want you to do that. And even if you want to be that, but if he can 
find a way to cause us to think that each other is the enemy, that we can, he can start sowing some seeds of suspicion and discord within the body of Christ, he knows he can win. Don't let that happen. So he's saying, protect them, Father. Protect them from testing. And it means we will be tested, but protect us in the midst of the testing so we will pass the test. But protect us, Father, from temptation and from disunity. You see, God is, Jesus here is praying that we would be missionaries, that we would understand that we've been sent by God. We're in the world, but not of the world, but we've been sent. He's praying for our protection while we're in this world that we're not part of. But then the last thing is he prays for our unity. And I love this part of the prayer, beginning at verse 20. He's saying, I do not ask for these only, and he's referring here to the disciples of that time, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And who's he talking about there? He's talking about us, because we believe because of their word, their message, that they may all be one. And then down in verse 22, that they may be one even as we are one. And then in verse 23, that they may become perfectly one, perfectly united. This is a prayer of Jesus, that we would be united. And it is love that unites us. And we need to repent of all those things that cause us to cross swords with each other. So Jesus has gone away, but he is still here with us. And this is why he says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they be in us. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The previous three chapters in the Gospel of John, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit will come and he will guide you into all truth and he will teach you everything. And what we learn about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of unity. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, be sure to keep the unity he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Do that. And then in Colossians chapter 3, he says, um, uh, you were called to peace. You were called to peace. And so, unity was important to Jesus. It was important to the Apostle Paul. It's important to the heart of God. And so, why do we need to have unity as a church? And this is what he says in verse 21. Actually, let me back up. No, let me go forward. I'm going to, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here. Uh, here's what he says in verses 21 to 23. This is why we need to be unified. He says that the world may believe and that the world may know. You can go into your workplace or into your neighborhood and you can share your personal testimony about how Jesus has changed your life. That's great. But you know what the most powerful witness is? Is when they see us dwelling together in unity, loving one another. Because you know the world, does the world see that right now? In our politics? In our social interactions? On Facebook? On Twitter? Mean tweets? You know, internet trolls? They need to see an example. Folks, can we do that? Can we say, you know what? I, I can disagree with you, but I love you, and we can work out that disagreement. 
God has called us to that so that the world will believe. They won't believe until we demonstrate that. And so unity is one of the big items in the Holy Spirit's job description. And when we have that unity, here's what's going to happen. People will come to faith in Jesus. That's what he said. Then the world will believe and they will know that the Father has sent the Son. But guess what? If they don't believe, it's our fault. We'll say, you know, what's wrong with all those people out there that don't go to church and don't believe in Jesus? No, 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 no. Point the finger back at yourself. Us as a church. He said, if you know that you're sent by God and you are on mission, on assignment to be Christ's ambassadors in this world and you take that seriously and you stand together in unity, then the world will believe. But they will not believe until we do that. And we have an opportunity during this season of Advent to demonstrate that. So people will come to faith in Jesus and the second thing is then God will be glorified. He says, Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me. And I'll tell you one thing, the glory of God will shine through us when we stand together. Let your light so shine before men, God, Jesus said, that uh, they will see your light and glorify your Father in heaven. And our light shines most brightly. See, Audrey, you are a candle. But what happens if all of our candles are shining together in unity? It's even brighter. And uh, people will come to believe. And so the world needs what we have. They need Jesus. They need us to be the church, to be the body of Christ. This is what Jesus was praying for. He prayed that we would be set apart in order to be set back. Set apart to be sent back into the world. And so when the church is gathered, right now we have a gathered church. Where two or three are gathered together, that's church, right? We got way more than two or three. And there's people online. This is the church gathered. And the church gathered is an expression of our unity. But then, when we do the benediction here today, it's going to be the church scattered. And you're going to go out into your world scattered. And that's going to be, um, that's going to be the fulfillment of our mission. So when we gather, it's an expression of our unity. When we scatter, it's the fulfillment of our mission. And so we need to do both. I want to lead us in prayer in closing. And I said this way back last year about this time. I said, my dream for our church is not that we would preach sermons, but that these sermons would be a call to action. That's what this really needs to be. And so I want to end today by giving you an opportunity to act. I'm not going to put you on the spot, so relax. <laughs> but just to respond to what you've heard today and respond to this passage of Scripture in John 17. So, would you pray with me? Here's what I want you to do. So, because Jesus said, Father, may they be one. As I am in you and you are in me, may they be in us and may they be bound together in perfect unity so that the world may believe and the world may know. So, to have unity, you need to be a peacemaker. I need to be a peacemaker. And what that means is, not that we pretend that there's not a problem. No. It's not about that. It's not about putting our head in the sand and being in denial about the fact that there might be conflicts. It means you'll go into the conflict. If you have a problem with another person, you'll go to that person in love and with a heart of forgiveness and maybe repentance, and you'll make it right. 
You'll do everything. You'll make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Would you say, Lord Jesus, make me a peacemaker? Would you say that? Make me a peacemaker. Make me a peacemaker. Show me how to be a peacemaker. The second thing that I want you to do is be a missionary. So be a peacemaker because that goes to unity. Be a missionary because that goes to the fact that he has sent us to be apostles in the world. Be an ambassador for Christ. And would you say right now, Father, here I am. Send me. So be a peacemaker. Be a missionary. There's five questions that we need to ask ourselves. Who am I? I'm a child of God, yes, but I am a missionary, an ambassador for Christ. Why am I here? I am here to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ through my words and my actions. Who do I see? When you go to a restaurant, when you go shopping, when you go to the bank and you talk to a clerk, who do you see? Do you see a person? Or do you just see someone who serves your needs? Do you see a person that God loves for whom Jesus died? Would you treat them that way? The fourth question is, what do I have in my hand that God can use? What has he given me to use? What resources has he given me? And the last thing is, what if everyone made disciples the way that I do? Because he's called us to make disciples of the nations. So would you say, here I am, Lord, send me. So here's what I want you to do right now, and then we'll close. Would you say, Lord, I want you to please show me specifically what I can do this week and the next week before Christmas to foster unity amongst your people and to fulfill my calling to be your missionary in the world. Would you ask him, say, Lord, would you open my eyes to see that the harvest is ripe opportunities abound show me where there's a hurt I can heal or where there's a need I can meet give me a heart of compassion and generosity and what I would like to do is ask us or ask ourselves if there's a particular person a household, a group that we can reach out to and make a difference. Say, Lord, lay it on my heart. And what I'd like to do is hear some of your stories. If some of you would send me an email, say, I prayed that prayer, and I'd like to, to send the story to you and tell the story about what God did. So can you and I be the answer to Jesus' prayer? Where he said, you know, we prayed for unity. He prayed for that we fulfill our mission. That we're in the world, but not of it. Would you be the answer? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I want to be the answer to your prayer. Let's give the world a reason to believe. Let's be the church. And let's be the change we want to see. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. Stay safe and stay healthy.